I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter and Instagram. And I, for- <laughs> I forget what I say after that now. I can't even remember. <laughs> I run hip hop numbers on Twitter where I use hip hop statistics. Work in, work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> to highlight the bigger picture. Live <laughs> <laughs> joke to the fifth element or highlight fifth element of hip hop, which is knowledge. Dick. Dick in. Dick. Dig in That's probably one I should have gone with first, but uh, yeah, love it. I like it. Here for it. Fucking a lot. Goddamn head sharing, I'll tell you. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? <laughs> Foreshadowing. What have you this week? Uh, I got into a few this week. I'm going to go from, I'm going to just read off my little list that I made on Instagram, my, my graphic. Uh, first up, Mavi, Mavi's new album. I thought it was brilliant. It was not what I expected at all. It was quite eclectic. Uh, the production was nowhere near like I thought we were going to get like dingy kind of Earl sweatshirt type beats, but we certainly got a much brighter project. It sounded like something that came out of Dreamville or something that was coming out of Chicago in the mid 2010s. Uh, it's it's really quite and Mavi is really adept on here. There's a little bit of singing. There's all these different flows, all these different vocal touches he brings to it. You know, the lyrical content I thought was really thought-provoking the inconvenient truth or inconvenient truths that track particularly i really enjoyed it. i thought it was a great a great track it was uh yeah i just sat down and thought about some of the things he was saying and it sounded like it was a stream of consciousness but the lyrical depth of that track was was immense and he kind of gave that to the whole project i really think he locked in and tried to create like a whole concept project here and i'm gonna need more listens to sit with it and understand his exact perspective but yeah man I, I definitely would recommend this as a headphones on a sunday afternoon album it's very good uh little baby's album i don't know what look i think the problem with this one is when i first listened to it i listened to it in the car on really good speakers and it slapped hard like it was a fucking straight up banger i drove all the way home from uh, my partner's workshop and uh, this was just blasting my ears and Every song, I was like getting more and more energized. I was like, I can't wait to go for a run tomorrow and listen to this album. And then I put it on in my crappy little Bluetooth headphones, and it was not as good. It was nowhere near as good. The bass had dropped out. You know, it sounded a bit. The beat sounded a little bit tinny. They all do on that those speakers on those those headphones. You know, I can only listen to certain music on those headphones and enjoy it. So I think maybe people were listening to it in bad speakers. You know, to say that Little Baby was making the same song over and over again. Do you listen to this subgenre at all? Like, have you ever listened to Future? Have you ever listened to Young Boy? Like, again, Yeet, we go back to this over and over again. I've said it a million times on this podcast. Like, yes, that's the point. Like, it, the, the songs sound the same. They drag you along in the same direction. I mean, there's so much music like this in the world. There is so much, like, popular, well-listened-to people who are well-respected, post-rock, ambient, drone, electronic, are like... 
you know, it's just very common. So to, for that to be a criticism is entirely redundant. Anytime someone says that to me, I'm like, okay, cool. So you don't really know what, like, that's okay. Like you're allowed to say that, but that doesn't mean it's a bad album. It just means it's not for you. Um, the lyrical content, I'm actually analyzing it right now. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty generic. It's pretty generic. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating to look at in the first three or four tracks, he says pretty much the same things he's going to say in the rest of the tracks. He just says them a little bit differently. Uh, and I think that that's a lot of the criticism, but again, I would love to go back over like a future, like maybe three or four album run and just see if it's a similar thing. Cause I really do think it's the same. I think, you know, they're just saying the same thing over and over again. Um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's a banger. I really do. Gee, Herbo dropped uh, the B-side. I think the album's called Survivor's Remorse. This is intense. I thought this was better than A-side. Um, you know, I said I was I was reviewing the Conway track, and I said that the way that G. Herbo sets this album up is he talks about the pain and the anguish and the trauma that he's experienced, but he also talks about the success he's experienced and the success he's he's grown for himself from zero that he's cultivated it's almost like he's daring you to envy him he's daring you to be jealous because every time he says you know i've got mansions i've got cars i've got money i'm famous he also explains how he got to that point and the anxiety he still has to live with i mean it's even worse for him he says because he's famous now he's well known people know where he is they know who he is he's always looking over his shoulder um it's a brutal album to listen to. It's it's a challenging album. Like not not in a bad not in a way it's a bad listen or it's difficult to sit through. It's just hard listening to a human contend with this level of anxiety in their daily life. It yes, it's a tough tough thing to to contemplate. Uh, Central C dropped a tape, an EP. I think it was six songs. I thought it was a banger, man. I thought they were all bangers on this tape. I really enjoyed it. Um, I can't say much else than that. Like, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good, solid, solid project. T Grizzly. Holy shit, bro. So, T Grizzly dropped this track, this album. Um, and basically what it is, and he, he'd done this prior. So, he had this, this song series called Robbery. So, he started with part one in 2020. And then, I think part two was, like, later in 2020. Part three was 2021. I think part four dropped this year. And the way he did it was obviously he told the story across four parts, but they're self-contained stories. Like if it had ended at that point, at the end of any of those songs, it kind of would have made sense anyway. Like it would have been okay, but then he'd do another one and it'd be a completely different beat, completely different. Like he would, he would change the entire structure of the song. It wouldn't be a remix. It wouldn't be like a part two. Uh, it would just be totally different. And when he did part four of Robbery, I was saying like, I don't think there's a point to doing a part five. Like, I can't even imagine him doing that. Then he dropped this album, and there's like five or six of those narratives on this record. He did part five to Robbery, and it's fucking amazing. But I was listening to it when I was running, and I was feeling uncomfortable hearing the things that T Grizzly has seen in his life. It was making me, like living in fucking Sydney, you know, eons away from the things that T Grizzly has actually seen and experienced with his real, in his real life, I was feeling like, I don't think I can finish this album because this is challenging to listen to. I'm uncomfortable listening to this. It's fucking masterful. The storytelling on here, you're gonna have to sit down with a fucking pen and a notepad to figure out like, 
all the different characters and what this means and what that means and who's here and why they did this. Like it's it's so intricate. But at the same time, it works as an overall listen because T Grizzly is just T Grizzly. He's like so commanding on the microphone. This is one of the best projects I've heard in the last five or six years. Like it's so different. I haven't heard anyone do it like this. You know, some of these stories are two parts. Some are five parts. Some are just one song. You know, I haven't heard anyone take on narrative like this you know i was thinking last night literally as i was going to sleep it it stuck with me all day yesterday and i was thinking about like slick rick uh you know on great adventures and early stuff from slick rick where he would like inhabit characters and he would create entire narratives but they were all self-contained songs and they were all like individual characters what tigris is doing here is not that he's not he's not the character he's telling the story he's the narrator and yeah, man, it's, it's fucking amazing, bro. It's, it's, I haven't heard anyone do something like this in hip hop. So if you want to sit down for a lyrical meal, I fully suggest listening to this T Grizzly album. It, it lived up to my expectations and then some. Incredible record. Uh, Makami and the God for him. What do you expect, man? It's just great. It's really, really good. Makami, even like these Lucy projects that, I mean, Pray for Haiti was obviously, you know, promoted as kind of his massive breakthrough record and it had that event feel to it you know it had that push behind it you really everyone was talking about it nowadays when he drops projects it's not the same there's not the same hype behind it but he still gives it everything in the booth like he's still dropping these wild lyrical references from all over the place i said on tracks of the week if you pick up 50 percent of the lyrical references he drops you can be very very proud of yourself because some of these are dense, some of these are deep, some of these are like Lucy's or B-sides or like album cuts that he's referencing lyrical references to. It's, yeah, it's immense. It's a good project. That track with your old Drew is incredible. Um, and finally, Know It All and Skip the Kid dropped a project with like Black Shadori, uh, Backward Sweetie was on it. Bro, like <laughs> the, the track list alone is immense and every guest on there just brings it, like really freaking brings it. It's yeah, it's a good project. I, I recommend people check that one out. Uh, that's some some good, solid underground music. Yeah, that was me, Charlie. It was quite a lot this week. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, same old, same old. Uh, more than five, get on my level. Um, start off with uh, Reggie B, uh, Tinky's Jam. So I sent this um, via email. And uh, yeah, I listened to it a couple of weeks ago, and obviously more recently just to get another um, vibe of it. Um, I think it's actually dropped. Yeah, it's dropped. It dropped on the tenth of October. Um, I got it about a week or so beforehand. Um, and yeah, so it's um basically just a uh, a lot of just um funk shit going on, like big George Clinton vibes. Um, that, that all that going on. Uh, it's mainly instrumental. Um, so you know, not not, not exactly um dense on the lyrical. Uh, Lyrical side, but yes, basically just like an instrumental project, um, and uh, very just very fun to listen to. Honestly, very fun to listen to. Got some street jazz on Realize, which I really, really, really love. That was a great track. But yeah, you got some, uh, you know, soul as well. But most of it is just like some really, really bouncy funk, and I'm here for that all day, every day. Very throwback re- uh, kind of record, um, uh, definitely in, in vibe. Uh, Flo Hio, uh, out of heart. Um, so yeah, I remember listening to her project I think last year, and that was very uh, drilly, if I remember correctly. 
Um, this is much different. Um, this is not. This is ah, no panic, no pain on twenty in twenty twenty. Wow, it's two years ago, raw. Sheesh. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, this is much different. Much, much, much more different. Um, lyrically, I'd say you know, kind of similar. Um, really hard edged. Um, really, you know, just um, from the stomach kind of delivery, punching through the mic kind of a uh, delivery and performance. Um, she's very energetic on the mic. Um, for sure. Um, but yeah, the beasts themselves were just kind of, um, kind of different. Um, they, they just, uh, it was, it was, it was very interesting of how, how the combination came about, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. It's, it's decent. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's not what I expected. So, um, that's, that's always a plus on that front. So that's a fly higher. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say T-S-H-A, but you can, Tasha, <laughs> but so there's no A in it, so Tisha, Tisha, I don't know, but Capricorn Sun, um, so this is, um, yeah, I found this on, I, I think I just saw this on Bandcamp, um, and I was just like, go on them, bit of oonts for you, a bit of oonts if you want that kind of vibe, uh, water with, uh, Umu Sangare, it's really nice, um, Dancing in the Shadows with Clementine Douglas, really, really nice track, um, really beautiful, um, but yeah, man, this is, uh, it's, it's not, it's not too long, um, oh wait, it's too long, <laughs> not always long, it's 54 minutes, um, but regardless of that, I think it really just bleeds from track to track super, super freaking well, uh, next one is Jabby and Blue I, uh, just a horrible name for a project, just, just, you can't search that up, it's just impossible, um, but, uh, yeah, so it's produced by Blue, um, obviously one of the best lyricists in the past in this uh, 21st century. And um, yeah, I think uh, definitely production-wise, um, on Blue Side, it was very fascinating. Uh, a lot of uh, very sample-heavy, um, a lot of um, a lot of kind of, uh, you know, very movie-like, uh, very movie-like tones coming through this, um, especially with the samples. It's only 20 minutes, six songs, um, but Jabi comes through with some nice stuff as well. Um, really, really like his style. Uh, it's the first time I've spun him, so that's... Uh, as a dub, um, but yeah, no good features as well with the uh, crumb on uh, Duke Lucky, uh, Ronnie with the K um, on Trouble, very nice. But yeah, man, it's a really solid project. Um, I'm definitely here for the just the blue production. I'm I'm feeling that. I want kind of more of that. Uh, see what you can do on that front. Very lovely, uh, very lovely production there. Uh, Ojirime, I think I said that right. Yep, Ojirime, uh, black bad influence. Um, so this is some really just nice, uh, wide-ranging production-wise, uh, but very contemporary R&B. Um, followed her for a minute, just out of her, uh, you know, just seeing seeing names. I see, I see good vibes. I I play it. Um, but it's, I think it's the first album of hers I've listened to. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, this is some good stuff here. Some good uh, modern, uh, contemporary R&B, like I said. Uh, Iman Europe on Mantra is very nice. Um, but and uh, our, our good friend Muramasa on the Keep It Low on the last track as well. Uh, nice little bouncy end to the to the album, but very nice uh, project. Shout out to Ojirime, Jaden Clover. Um, spelled J A Y D O N Clover, one word. Uh, Room Service, Volume One. <sighs> I don't know whether this is an EP or an album. It's classed as an album, the thing, but it's twenty-eight minutes, ten songs. That's borderline to me. But anyway, I'm only saying that because I really enjoy this project, and I don't know what particular class it. Because <laughs> um, if it's an album, I'm not sure if it'll make my album list. But if it's an EP, definitely might make the EP list. That's what I'm asking. Um, but yes, yeah, this is some really good stuff. Um, very mellow. Uh, Kofi Stone is... Jesus Christ, man. His feature game is 
top in my list right now. Like every time I see him on a project featured, he just delivers this absolute heat. Him on In the Morning is crazy. It's just absolutely unstoppable. Like the, the bag he is in right now is absolutely absurd. Um, but past that, very moody, very deep. Um, yeah, yeah, very, very, uh, very calm. In some in some ways, uh, in terms of production, especially, and uh, yeah, Jaden Clover just skates all over this man. She skates all over this. Um, very appreciative. Um, I I mean, she's uh, she's a Birmingham artist, and it really comes through with that, um, especially in her language and uh, just how she how she vocalizes, which um, I respect. It's always it's always good to have a different uh, to to kind of embrace that tone. I know some singers don't. Um, Adele, for example, right? <laughs> just imagine her Tottenham voice, just trying to sing on, trying to sing Adele Tottenham voice. It's not gonna happen, right? But Jaden Clover comes in with some, you know, nice Brummy accent, and it comes through very nicely, and it's very different, it's very unique. Um, so I highly appreciate that. Um, so shout out to Jaden Clover on that one. Let me know if it's an album or EP, please. Uh, Rosewood twenty fifty five. Uh, when the night calls. So this is the trio of Mark Beyond, Sensei Cam, and Rebel Cus Cusco. Um, yeah, Rosewood twenty twenty five, twenty fifty five, and um, yeah. So it's it's an interesting EP. When the night calls. Uh, six songs, fifteen minutes. Very short. Got a Boldy James feature on Lucky Slum Village on Got a Feeling. Um, some other stuff as well. Yes, yeah, just very. Um, it's an interesting dynamic, I guess. Um, having obviously two. Uh, well, I never said, but two rappers and a. I think it's two rappers and a producer, if I remember correctly. If, if <laughs> from the email I was, I was given. Um, but yeah, so it's a very. Uh, it's a very di- uh, lyrically dense, I'd say. Um, EP um, comes at you just constantly, just constantly coming at you. But the production is very, uh, very clean, very tight. Um, I highly appreciate that. Uh, Kabaka Pyramid, uh, the Carlin, um, one of the best uh, records, right? One of the best reggae records um, of this year, definitely. Got Damien Marley, Peter Tosh, uh, Stefan Marley, uh, Protege, Jesse Royal, Bougie Banton, uh, just absolutely outstanding uh, features off the back of that alone. But there's some good, other, there's some good features past that as well. Um, Jameer Morgan on the energy is very nice. But yeah, man. Um, he kind of has this um, interesting tone. It kind of reminds me of someone else, um, but I forget who. Could just I just can't put my quite put my finger on it. Um, but past that, it's some very good, just modern day reggae. Um, you got some classic feeling uh, roots reggae, but you got some more contemporary elements as well thrown in there, um, especially. Um, so yeah, man, it's a very wide ranging project, especially um, especially production wise. But yeah, man, one of the best, like I said, one of the best record uh, reggae records um out there. Definitely one of those records I could see just winning best reggae Grammy just because. Um, but yeah, it if it, if it did, it deserves it. So um, yeah, shout out to Cabernet Pyramid. And lastly, Charlotte Dos Santos Morpho. Um, so I remember seeing Charlotte Dos Santos during Cross the Tracks. Um, followed it instantly off that, off the back of that. Got some good photos of her actually as well. If you want to peeps, the RT slash photography dot com dot com. And um, this album is very, very interesting. Um, it's just one of those. I don't know. It just spoke to me in in a weird in a weird way. I can't really. It's hard to explain. Um, she has this very airy uh, persona, I guess, um, throughout the tracks and. Uh, the, the the production just comes through with her. She she kind of just floats on it really nicely. 
Um, nice light voice, um, very nice lyrics as well. Um, but yeah, man, just a really superb just R&B record. One of my favorite this year, I must admit. Um, I definitely need to listen to this again because <laughs> I was just kind of just left uh, left a, in a bit of a state. I was just like, damn. I was really clean. I was just really vibing to that. And I, you know, I, don't, I don't go into every project expecting to vibe to everything. I kind of go in, you know, with a kind of like a blank slate and paint paint me with what you want. Uh, you know what I mean? But yeah, this kind of uh, this kind of left me in the clouds a bit. Um, I'd say. Uh, but yeah, it's a very fascinating record. Shout out to Charles Sandals. And uh, lastly, I'm just going to shout this out. I'm not going to say much about it. But the uh, deluxe edition of uh, of Robert Glasper's Black Radio Three. Um, just some really good additional tracks. Um, you know, not exactly something I'm gonna shout out. Well, I might put it on my album list because I was really good. Put maybe I was Black Radio Three was pretty close on the shortlist anyway in my mind. Um, just listening to it again with like in tune and Black Superhero. Uh, everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody love. But then after that, you have obviously the additional tracks. Therapy with Mac Miller. Um. Something I wouldn't do with Estelle in that last track, Voyage to Atlantis, with Bilal and Alex Isley. Shit. Oof, 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 oof. Yeah, man. Just Robert Glasper, just, he's, he's got the fucking Rolodex, I tell you, man. He's, he's, he's just got the best people on speed, though, man. Just absolutely great. Man. Shout out to Robert Glasper. But yeah, with that said, <clears throat> let's hop on to uh, continuing our UK BHM uh, retrospectives uh, with uh, Getz, formerly known as Ghetto. Um, and yeah, this is going to be interesting. Uh, we've obviously spun Getz uh, with uh, Conflict of Interest um, recent uh, last year. Um, I don't know if I don't know if did you talk about that at the time? Because uh, I remember doing so. I don't know if you did, but um, yeah, I remember yeah, spinning so. that as well. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, we're just going to get into his uh, career is, itself. Um, he only has three studio albums, including Conflict of Interest. Um, but obviously, um, like I said uh, previously with uh, JME, um, there are just so many fucking mixtapes. <laughs> so many mixtapes uh, that you can sink your teeth into. Highly encourage you to do so. There are a couple on Spotify, um, as far as I know, and I'm sure they're um, available elsewhere as well. Um, so yeah, man, uh, just don't hesitate on that front. But obviously, <clears throat> in this case, as the podcasters we usually do with retrospectives, we just get into the studio albums themselves because they obviously produce the, in my mind, should produce the most, uh, the most meat uh, of the bone. And uh, I say that it's funny, say it's ironic saying that with Get since uh, every fucking project of his is literally fifty nine minutes and over. Um, do an EP challenge, impossible difficulty. <laughs> so, but what you, with that said, uh, what we've got for us today? Yeah, man. Look, guess guess was like he flew to mainstream look. ubiquity when Conflict of Interest dropped in 2021. Like that was obviously massive. You know, it was his first major label project, um, his first charting singles. His cut through was immense, and he was he was on Red Bull Academy doing feature stories with GQ, getting nominated for Mercury Prize, picking up headlines like. Gets is evolving in real time from Vice. You know, as of May 19 this year, Conflict of Interest was the equal second highest rated hip-hop album on Metacritic of 2021 with a staggering 95 out of 100. A 95. Like, no, that's the second rated ever, not just of 2021. Only Kendrick's To Pimp a Butterfly, I think it was To Pimp a Butterfly, was above damn. I think T-Pab's on 96. So Conflict yep. of Interest was 95, T-Pab's 96. It's the second highest, uh, obviously the highest rated of uh, the, the year it came out. 
um, three points clear of Dave's album and seven clear of Lil Sims's album. Now, it's a glow up like nothing I've, I've really seen. It was Getz's 11th project. And to be honest, listening back to his first two albums, I could never have predicted he'd drop possibly the most vital hip hop album of 2021. Um, you know, our listeners know that we chose four different albums to talk about as our top four that year. But this album was right up there, man. It was a great freaking album. Now, his rap name is Ghetto, which if you listen to pretty much any of his music, you'd know uh, Ghetto and Getz are interchangeable and prevalent topics in his early work. He always talks about his name, like he's always name dropping himself. The name was bestowed upon him by the late uh, Storman, a grime legend in his own rights, just after Getz was released from prison in 2003 when he was just 19 years old. Now, he details the harrowing nature of his teenage years on Trapped in the System of his 2007 mixtape Ghetto Gospel. He was raised in East London by his mom, who was a single parent. Another brilliant track off Ghetto Gospel is Closest Thing to Heaven. He speaks on his own conflicted feelings towards his childhood and his teenage years, saying that he was taking Class A drugs, which is something in the realm of heroin or cocaine. He was actually saying he was shooting it and uh, that he was beaten, but he knew that he deserved it. And he speaks on his mum being a teacher and he speaks positively about her and feeling conflicted about the way he treated her and the way that he felt like he was a fuck up basically during those years. Now he spent time in prison as a juvenile offender. In his interview with Niall Flynn, he mentions stealing quad bikes and quad bike paraphernalia. In his enemy interview, they describe his offenses as minor and mostly related to cars, but because they kept stacking up next to each other, he was stuck in the system for a large part of his teenage years. On that 2007 track, teen, track and sorry, on that 2007 track, trapped. That's 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 definitely a tongue twister. That one. It's funny that we're doing gets and I get all tongue twisted, bro, because he's 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 the king of the tongue twister, man. But yeah, on that track, he goes quite in-depth, saying that he feels like his past is his shadow, describing his mind state whilst in those situations in the third verse, like it's it's quite dark, it's quite deep. He told uh, Loud and Quiet in an interview in 2019, um, he said this about just his career in general, like how he kind of contextualizes himself. He says, I don't feel like a pioneer. I'm not part of that generation. What it is, is that the lines are blurred because of the time that some people have been able to survive. But Wiley's like two generations before me. I grew up listening to Wiley. I came in late, so I already felt like there was a culture there. A lot of what I made has influenced the culture, but I don't think I invented a sound. I know that I changed the dynamic of how people spit or the way they approach grime music, but I still don't feel like I made this scene. I think I helped clarify what grime is. I find that really interesting. So his path to grime success is very crew-based, um, like every other grime rapper we've described on this page, uh, on this pod. Like we've discussed, yeah, you know, so many now, and they've all been in crews. He began in Nasty Crew, which was the legendary collective begun by Marcus Nasty, and included this eye-boggling lineup: Kano, Jammer, Double E, Stormin, Mac Ten, and Getz, aka Ghetto. Now, DEE was seen as one at the forefront at the time, at least according to The Guardian's brilliant 2004 article on Grimes crew culture. They wrote this really... Say? Yeah, man, like this article that they wrote in 2004, um, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And they wrote this fascinating paragraph. And I think it's relevant to Getz based off the outro to Halloween off his second album, um, I can't actually find who gave those additional vocals on that track, uh, but the premise was that Getz allows people, and this is this was the outro to that song, uh, Getz allows people to express their frustration, their rage, their anger in a safe way. He's a vessel through 
you know, which people can purge their hatred of certain aspects of society or their own life in a safe manner without actually destroying things. Now, that outro was released in 2018. This passage I'm about to read from The Guardian comes from 2004. They wrote, In general, however, grime works to ritualize and contain aggression between crews through battles and clashes in which the aim is to murk rival MCs on the set, kill them lyrically in the most inventive way possible. To the outsider, even the vernacular used by the grime MC seems impenetrable. Now, this Guardian article speaks of a legendary pirate rattle pirate radio battle between Meridian, Venom, and Nasty Crew. 25 MCs up at Heat FM, the iconic pirate radio station in North London. Now remember again, this is 2004. This is just a year after Gets got out of prison. Still going by the name of uh, Ghetto, and I'll read another section. Uh, Nasty's most formidable MCs, Kano, Sharky Major, Ghetto, Hyper, and Stormin, form a huddle around the mic and pass it back and forth between themselves to keep the other crews from muscling in. As he rhymes, Ghetto bucks his wiry body spasmodically back and forth like a boxer sparring jabs. His hoodie is pulled down so low over his head that the only visible parts of his face are the gold teeth that glint in the light of the bare bulb hanging from the ceiling. That's very descriptive. Now, Get speaks of his battle ability in an interview with Rachel Morris. He said, naturally, I'd say I'm not a battle MC. The, the time that I come from was a dangerous time to be on the radio, so you had to write lyrics in case somebody would come in and embarrass you. Naturally, my thing is to treat music like a therapy session. I'd rather talk about what's happening in my life or the world or write something story-based. Now, the wild thing is, his first ever live set was a battle with rapper Dimples on Hackney's Mystic FM, and he managed to win that. Uh, but maybe that was part of why he left Nasty Crew, because although the crew did begin to falter heavily around this time, um, it was actually Marcus Nasty coming home from prison, surprisingly. Uh, and at the time, it was producer Jammer who was leading the collective. And when Marcus Nasty returned as leader, Jammer and DWE left. Getz actually left to form his own collective. Some people say that Getz was pushed out. Um, it's hard to know, obviously. he doesn't. T- I've never heard an interview where he actually talks about it. But he formed his own collective, The Movement which was fearsome in itself, you know. He had Wretch32 as well as uh, Devlin and Scorcher in an interview with uh, Gig Sluts in 2014. I love that name. Uh, He said, with the movement, it's frustrating because we're a team full of strikers and that's not necessarily always best to take a team forward. So it's frustrating that when one of us has got time, the others hasn't and so on. So yeah, it kind of faltered a little bit, but the movement actually decided as one of their first acts as a collective to take on Boy Better Know back in 2006. Um, as if you can believe it, we talked about Boy Better Know last week, obviously, JME. Now, the story, as told by Wiley to Not For Radio, is that it was originally a war between Wiley and Getz, but the movement decided to hop into the beef. And the hosts of that podcast just outright say that Wiley got washed up by Devlin of the movie, um, like a resounding loss. And Wiley said this in response. He says... At the time I was warring with Getz, what are you all doing? Because it's just me and Getz. I didn't understand why I'm warring with a movement now. It's one me versus seven MCs. I needed to do some shit to keep existing past this because the way they've come at me is dangerous and no one on my side is willing to back me up. Now there's a brilliant forum post in Grime Forum where user HIJ lists all the songs that were coming for Wiley at this time. It's crazy. He lists 18 separate diss tracks from 13 different artists and 21 Wiley responses. 
to those tracks, which is fucking crazy. He actually dedicates the entire Night Bus, Night Bus dub plate to the movement. And people say that that was the track that ended the beef. Like he just took them all down. But as Wiley said in that interview, Getz was always the main target. There's a brilliant Tumblr post by One Week One Band that dives into the battle, and I'll read a little bit of it now um, verbatim. He says, Getz was often stated that upon merging from jail in 2004, Wiley was one MC in particular who he looked up to, and he wasted little time in doing what he felt was best and proving he was better than Wiley while in the nasty crew. Their clashes were brief skirmishes then, never too tense, as Wiley tended to regard Getz's friend Kano as the more talented lyrical MC. To be fair, it was an opinion held by most in the scene at the time. It should also go with notice that when it came to clashes, Getz had often come up short. He lost against Bashi, Nappa of East Coast, the Slam Dem crew, former nasty friend Footsie, Skepta, Tinchy Strider destroyed him in one bar. Now, I went through and I said this to Charlie. I think the bar has to be, if it's not Kane, then it must be a rebore. And obviously a rebore being a replica gun, something Tinchy rapped about on JME's track, Still Tippin' Remix. Uh, he rapped, I won't jam like a rebore. I still pack flows like the heat, so I'll squeeze off. Now, I think it must be that because I can't find any other bar that would be... You know, it's very dismissive. It's such a dismissive bar. It's just like, I don't, I don't care about you, you know. It's not Kano, then I don't care. So Tinchi actually rapped that during a Pyro radio show and gets immediately replied with a wild verse. Um, it's this video of it, but apparently not enough to avoid the L on that. Um, but yeah, for the from the Tumblr post, I'll keep reading. It says, for all his talents... Battling, his number one we- battling was his number one weakness, but in 2006, victory seemed close to his grasp. At first, Wiley and Getz remained casual associates, and Wiley would even appear on the very first Movement DVD, but it didn't take long until things would change. Um, so yeah, basically, they just had this massive, massive beef, and the writer claims that the aforementioned Night Bus dub plate was the end of the beef. Wiley just dismantled the entire collective lyrically across six scorching verses, <laughs> And, you know, Wiley and Getz would become close friends and collaborate regularly. Now, I find that really fascinating. I kept it all in because of what the Guardian article said about keeping the violence off the street and in the booths and how this culture of competition never ended anyone's careers. You know, you hear stories of artists like Cannabis or Ja Rule having their careers totally destroyed by diss tracks. Um, You know, everyone was trying to end Shantae back in the day. Jay-Z and Nas aimed warheads at each other. Jay-Z said he tried to end 50 Cent before he even began with a single bar. You know, Drake allegedly had something in the chamber so foul that the entire landscape would have changed. But even though Getz took a lot of L's, and by his own admission, he wasn't a good battle rapper at all, he kept glowing up. Now, his release history is super scattered through the 2000s, the result of being independent, obviously, and trying to push his career to the next level organically. His debut mixtape, 2000 and Life, uh, regarded one of the most raw grime releases. His grime was immense, though. He picked up features with Kano. He toured with Mike Skinner. He dropped his second mixtape, Ghetto Gospel, which I think is a brilliant piece of music. I think it's incredible. Um, You know, obviously, the peak of this is top three selected, and that really helped push him to the forefront of the grime conversation. He is right, I think, to say he was two generations behind Wiley and Dizzy. Um, I truly believe it goes... Wiley and Dizzy, Skepta, Jamie, and Kano, and then Getz comes through in the third wave. I'd be interested to see what you think about that, Charlie. <clears throat> That's interesting, I guess, a uh, breakdown of just um, the generations, I guess. Um, I mean, it's weird to say, right, because 
they they all commingled, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they all grew up in this in the, in the same era, so to speak. So, I mean, if you if you get surgical with it, then you, you're probably right. It's the likes of Dizzy and Wiley um, just uh, starting it and uh, becoming the first big names of the of of the of the movement. And then after that, um, yeah, you know, Skepta JME around mid mid twenty uh, mid mid two thousands, and um, you know, like we like we said yet yeah, last week, and then yeah, you know, right after that, it was the likes of Kano and also Gets. But zooming out, they were all like you like you've been saying, like they've they've commingled in the same spots, they've they've been in the same rooms together and spin the same battles together. Um, I do find it interesting thinking about the uh, how the nature of the battles and um, and how people can get washed and whatever and get rinsed, but it doesn't. But they're still here, right? They they haven't. It's not like a. It's not as cutthroat, I guess, as um, as a as a U.S. Uh, based beefs. Um, and I find that interesting. I just wanted, I'm, I'm, I was kind of trying to think of the reason why. Um, obviously, you know, uh, mainstream, <coughs> mainstream popularity is different in that case. Um, this was, uh, in, in, in this case, it was very, I think, insulated in uh, UK and probably just London, but I'm sure there was um, people plugged in everywhere else, um, but mainly London. And... Yeah, I, just, I just can't. I can't. Rel- I can't quite uh, seem that towards the likes of cannabis or jar rule, um, because I mean, even with that said, they they still had careers afterwards, right? It's not like they, um, you know, it's not like jar rule's career ended, so to speak. But um, I always found I always found that interesting how rat beefs uh, affected people's mainstream uh, viability quote-unquote because it's not like the white kids buying their albums give a shit i feel um but yeah i don't know who knows uh maybe the hip-hop media has a had a hand in had a hand in all of those um considering just oh coverage of this beef and then they say, you know, this person, this person's lost, and people take that as gospel. And it's like, no, we don't, no, none of us fuck you no more. The source gave you a shit of one mic. Um, so maybe, maybe it was that. Maybe that was the case. And um, there wasn't much, <coughs> um, there wasn't much of that, I guess, um, in terms of uh, UK, uh, UK grime, sp- grime space. You know, they had um, outlets to, had outlets to give people platforms and you know like sbtv uh you know stuff like that channel U to have a platform to uh put their shit out there and put their shit on tv but and youtube and that but you know they're not they're not critiquing it then nobody's 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 giving reviews to these to these things you know the the only reviews given is probably just someone who sees them on the street and going like Yo, your Lord of the Mics the other day was whack or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know I mean that's that's the only that's the only type of criticism I can imagine. Um, because the industry didn't care at that point. Uh, I feel um, it took a few years for obviously the industry to catch on and to see the potential in some of them, um, and then proceed to try and rip them off in the meantime. But that's for another day. Um, but yeah, 
I hope I answered the question. I kind of went on a rant, but um, yeah, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was, I was on a, I was on a mind, uh, <clears throat> my, uh, 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 yeah, I was just, I was just green light in my mind, just trying to, just trying to think about it. But yeah, no, I like it. I like it. We'll continue because you know it's still a long way to go for his debut album. I'm not gonna like go through his entire everything that he's ever done or said right, in it's that like, time there's period. a whole 10 years there was a whole 10 yeah, years before before his first album dropped well gets actually told link up tv that ghetto ghetto gospel was actually his debut studio album he just mislabeled it unintentionally he was confused about how uh, best see see you fuckers all do it tell you yeah see? man yeah gets was the first though gets you not labeled ep's albums <laughs> gets was the first to do it man like yeah he said yep. he was he didn't know how to best to market himself without major label help um, but obviously, it comes seven years prior to his official debut studio album. Freedom of Speech then dropped in 2008, Fire Mixtape. Um, it came amongst turmoil, though. He told Rebel Academy that 2008 was actually the darkest time in his entire life, in- including prison. He says, and I quote, It was around the same time I was struggling to see my bro- blessings and it was beginning to bleed into my music. If you listen to Ghetto Gospel, which came out the year before, I stepped out of my comfort zone and created something with a lot of depth in it. But the feedback I was getting at the time was not what I wanted to hear. So I decided to conform to the underground with freedom of speech. I felt like people would understand that better. Now, GQ magazine said it was actually his 2010 project, Calm Before the Storm, that was his debut studio album. Despite the fact it won an official mixtape award in 2011. So, uh, bro, we even got a Christmas EP came out in there somewhere. Like, it was a mess. It was a total mess this whole period. And I think it really speaks to the fact that, you know, with the movement, like, he was the head of the movement, but he didn't have that, like, I don't know, he just didn't have that level that Skepta and JME had where they had a real vision for where they wanted to go. It felt to me like Getz wanted to release music and he wanted to blow up, but he just didn't have that extra level. Um, And it wasn't until he partnered with the independent label Disrupt uh, that we finally get his debut album Rebel with a cause. If you want to talk about that, yeah. Um, and before we begin, um, Ben, how do you say that on the Google Meet? Play, place though. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's fun. Okay. What does it mean? Um, oh, it's just this is where it came from. I was just wondering if you could pronounce it properly. Place though. No, it's plasto, but yeah, plasto. So just remove the eye. Yeah, just it, it trips everybody up. Um, but yeah, that's fun. Anyway, um, yeah, rebel with the cause. Um, so I was trying to, th- I was trying to think. Um, I was trying to think how to describe for people that haven't listened to um, the certain songs that come through around this time, uh, where it has this kind of emo attitude towards it. Like, uh, it's like I feel like Hayley Williams should be on one of some of these tracks to to just like. Sing a really emo, uh, uh, to to two thousands type uh, chorus, um, and there's a couple of the there's a couple of songs uh, like that on on here, on a rebel with the cause, especially near especially near to the end, uh, stuff like these words and stand on, um, just has these just has this emo nature to it. I I can the only the only thing I think about now, the only song I think about as an example is kind of, and like it has this teenage element as well. It's just um that you feel feels like something I would listen to as a teenager because it's super deep. Um well, you know, super deep, whatever. Um you know, stuff like X V and also um 
Don't don't ask me why I'm thinking of this specific track, but um, do you remember that uh, Nelly track like Just a Dream? Oh, it was only just about- a dream. <laughs> I was thinking about you. Dream. I was thinking about us. I was thinking about me. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about trust. It was only yeah. oh, I remember it, Charlie. Yeah. Do I remember? Yeah, no, no, it's yeah, imprinted just... in my brain. Open my eyes, yeah. It was only just a dream. Just you know what I mean. Just got that. It's just got that emo. Just got that emo taste sprinkled on it. You know what I mean. Just just a, just a sprinkle of the emo. You know oh what I mean? It's, it has this, yeah, just has that essence to it. And I feel like um, a lot of, um, there's, a, there's a few tracks on this album that uh, has that, um, especially. But um, anyway, past that, I just wanted to get out of the way because I, I find those songs so fascinating and they don't come, you don't, I don't hear them anymore most of the time. Um, but, uh, but apart from stuff that came out from like 20, in between like 2010, maybe 2008, to like 2014 2015 right it's just just a weird space in time anyway um shout out to splurge boys um who did the production for rebel and gas mark 9 the two best tracks on the album um especially gas mark 9 which is just absolutely fucking heat just the production on that itself is fucking crazy yeah i've had that i've had that song on a regular rotation for years it's just absolutely outstanding I want him. To, I want gets to and, and gigs is on as well. I want them to do that track like in front of the London Symphony Orchestra. I just I need that in my life right now. Um, but yeah, even past that, um, some some great stuff. Uh, uh, Man like me, uh, uh, rags, uh, fatherhood. Jesus Christ, let me talk about father right quick. So um, he he he's had. To, I think he has at least like one track, especially in these studio albums where. Um, he's explicitly mentioning it, but obviously this one, as you can imagine, by the title, is very, very specific. Um, and literally, just just literally um, documenting. And this is very, uh, this is a kind of a a very easy baseline to get on when you're listening to Gets as um, as a storyteller. Um, you get it later through tracks like Autobiography, which I'm sure we'll mention. Um, but this one's a good starter pack, I feel, um, because it's literally the way that he raps is very interesting overall. Where he has this style, this it's like he's just talking, and it just so happens to rhyme. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's like he's not trying to rhyme. It just comes out that naturally in my mind, and he just freak and he just freaks it a little bit um, by you know just. St- uh, staggering some of the some of the some of the flows when he's uh, uh when he's going off but yeah fatherhood's a very fascinating track um um literally just talking about fatherhood the first few first few lines is literally 11 months ago my girlfriend told me she pregnant i quit smoking weed the same day hugged her and showed my affection and it, and it just goes on from there and um i feel even though there's um muddle muddling in what his what is his uh, first studio album i'm kind of glad in some ways that this is that because of tracks like this i feel like um this is one of just one of those tracks that give you that um hi here's me opening the door here's my story in some way and he does that a lot um with a few tracks but then you just have those fucking crud crud ass tracks bro <laughs> stuff like rebel and, and, and rags it's just so fucking crud i fucking love it 
uh, don't give a fuck, my brother. I never have. I'm straight from the gutter, my brother. We never had. Uh, we living on a budget. Holes in the rooftop. Room full of buckets. It's getting bad. Things could be worse, I suppose. School trips, school kids, cursing my clothes. It's the same in every house. Uh, when the curtains are closed, daydreaming. I'm in a world of my own. I ain't leaving. It must be because I hate my reality. That's why I'm on the verge of embracing insanity. Put me in a padded room. Throw away the key. Let me escape on an- escape the anarchy. I can't take it. I'll turn back on the world. I can't face it. Ray-Ban... <laughs> I don't know why he says... Oh, right. Ray-Ban gang fam. Can't see my eyes because I'm on the dark side. Sh- uh, dark shades in it, Ray Charles. Um, Jeez. It's just... Yeah, just... When you get some... When you get some... When you start talking about just... um, He's a hood storyteller. That's basically it. No, putting it simply, he's a hood storyteller, and uh, I just uh, and he comes through with uh, some really just really vivid imagery um, a lot of the time, and uh, I feel like that's probably just his biggest strength. And that's very fascinating, right? Of how you were talking about before that he's not much of a battle rapper, and there are artists that are not much freestylers, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, this dude just comes out with really fucking good storytelling and i and it's interesting how that has only been embraced properly um uh hasn't been embraced properly until in the most recent years yeah for sure it's um that's i mean that's where we go that's where we go like when i first listened to ghetto gospel uh i was like holy shit man the stories this man is telling they're really deep they're really impactful they're really powerful um, you know, Rebel with the Cause, I found it really interesting, uh, especially when compared to his his next two studio albums. Like, obviously, it drops independently by Disrupt. Now, this label only has two releases on Discogs: uh, this and his next mixtape, Momentum Two. But he actually told, I thought it was just going to be his own label, but it's not. It's it's a real label. He said, working with Disrupt on this project, he says. I'm a firm believer that everyone's route is not the same. So my route and the way I am as a person at this point is probably not for the major labels. I'm very, very hands-on and Disrupt allows me the freedom to be like that and have a say in what single we do next. Because I've been alone for so long in my career, it would be hard for me to just sit back and they allow me that freedom. I'm really thankful for that because they believe in my crazy ideas. We argue like any other team, but we come to a conclusion that everyone in the room is happy with, which is important. So I'm happy. So it's obviously a full label. Like I, again, I was thinking it was like a self self released kind of situation, but um, it's it managed to chart twenty three in the UK, which is a testament to the decade plus of grind he'd already put in before the album dropped. The marketing campaign was really interesting. Gets actually created his own app to promote the album. It was a very simple premise. If you're a Getz fan, you download the app and it tells you when he releases new music. It's it's not rocket science at all, but it was very effective. Now, prior to this album dropping, he actually welcomed the birth of his daughter. Now, he told Matt Tarr in an interview, it actually made the process of recording the album quite difficult. And I actually believe the source of conflict of interest, the album, is right here in this very quote that he gave in, uh, I think, 20, 2014, I think he said this. He says... I'm not as hard as I was, more more skillful maybe, a better artist maybe, but there's hardly a sign of what might have drawn people to me in the earlier stages of my career. Obviously, you get Gas Mask 9 and a few one-aways, but when I'm writing stuff like that, I feel guilty, if I'm being honest, because I'm not as active as I was when I was young. Not even as active, I'm not active. So when I write, even though I've got to write to say certain things because I've done certain things, 
I feel like it's not a reflection of what's going on right now, but then I do it because I also appreciate the fact that when someone is listening to me, they're looking for that. So I don't leave it out of the album, even though the album might not be centered around it, but I also feel guilty because in this current world right now, I care about where my daughter is gonna be growing up and how she grows up, and so I feel very guilty. People can probably hear from when I talk and from some of the music on my album, so it has affected my writing a lot. It's weird because I love hearing the hard stuff and I love writing it, but at the same time, I got this little girl that I want to be a role model for. Like, I found that quote fucking fascinating, bro. Like, really interesting. Like, you know, this Mm. is obviously a thing. Like, did you want to talk on that, Charlie? Is there something you want to say? Briefly. There was, was I just had, while you were saying that quote, just the, the one name that came into my head was Pusha T. And uh, and I know we can name plenty of other artists, um, and you can see where I'm exactly where I'm going with this. But I just wonder if they do have that conflict of interest um, when (laughs) Pusha T has built his whole career on something that he may or may not be doing anymore. Um, You know, we don't know for sure, but. I can't see him still doing it. Is there any reason at this point? You know what I mean? Does he really need the money? Or is he just doing it for fun? Right? But, you know, hypotheticals aside, he may or may not be doing the exact same shit he's been rapping about for the past 20-so years. But I appreciate Guess's honesty on that front. And it is very fascinating thinking about that. When you have those tracks and the next two albums do have those as well, um, especially conflict of interest, which is obviously part of the point. Um, artistically, is the point. It's clear that he still has is is still honest <laughs> in how he battles with that. And I just wonder if other artists actually have that battle um, because it's not it's not something that is necessary. Well, it's necessary to think about in the wider scheme of things. I f- I feel personally. It's worth artists who rap about these things thinking about um, ramifications or whatever, right? Obviously, don't put... Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of drill rappers these days um, uh, do do songs where, you know, the, the, what, what, was the, um, what was the album? Was it the Digger D album? Or was it the Central Sea album, Wild West, where I was just like, I like the album, but what's the point if, all I'm, if half the album is just... You know what I mean? Just like what? Yeah. I, I appreciate it on the authenticity, but there's no point if you if you if you can't you're not going. I'm not asking you to criminate yourself, but you can see a problem there, right? It's just what's the, what's the point of even doing it? Um, but it's interesting of just how gets comes across to that. I don't think anybody else in my in my, I'm trying to think of somebody else that's talked about it in that honest a way, and. If there probably have been people like that, um, I don't see Jay Z having a conflict of interest over capitalism. Clearly, um, I don't know if anybody other anybody else has conflict of interest over capitalism. Um, but obviously, this is different in terms of what the conflict of interest is. But another example for you. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sure people have have said this probably on Wax, probably not as eloquently. Um, but then you actually, but then he goes ahead and does an album based wholly upon that uh concept, which is just that's actually unlocked the album for me in a lot of ways. Um, you mean yeah, anyway, conflict we'll, of we'll interest? Get to that, we get to that. 
yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just unlocked it for me a little bit. But yeah, 100%. As soon as I read that quote, that's why I said, like, I, I genuinely believe, um, you know, and I actually think it even goes back further to freedom of speech where he talked about conforming 2014 to the, as well. Mm. Yeah, 2014. I think it goes back further to freedom of speech where he conformed to the underground and, you know, I, there's a lot of conflict of interest just in his career in general as he goes through. But... Yeah, man. Like, look, I I think it's a it's a solid album in general. This this record, I I really do. The one thing that I was thinking when you were saying that too, and I do want to say this. Um, when I was watching, I've watched Fade to Black by Jay Z a million times, and there's this scene where they're all sitting around. It's a classic scene because, uh, Just Blaze is sitting with Jay Z, and they're all talking. Just Blaze. And Memphis Bleak comes and he's behind them. And he kind of seems like he's like their waiter. And he's like, do you guys want anything from the, the chicken shop or the burger shop or wherever he's going? And he's, it's almost like he's taking their order and they're like, no, no, no. And so they just keep having this like really in-depth, intense conversation. And Memphis Bleak just like leaves and is like, okay, I'm just going to the store to get some food. And people were like hammering Memphis Bleak for that, but for being like not not dense enough to be or not like, you know, deep enough to be in that room to have that conversation. It was really unfair. Very unfair, but maybe during he was that, just listening. Hey, I mean, want, he could have been. Want, people want people talking. How about he? How about he just listened? Did you ever thought of that? Well, that's that. I mean, he's a rapper, so he's he's probably gonna do some talking at some point. But like, yeah, maybe he was just soaking it up like a sponge, you know. But during that conversation, uh, Jay Z was saying he wanted to do a song talking about what was going on in the streets at the time in his area in his hood, and the person he's talking to is like, "You're not that type of rapper. That's not what you do." So Jay-Z says to this other rapper, I forget who it was that was sitting there, he's like, but you rap about people committing crimes. Like, did you hear that? <laughs> That's my cat. <laughs> she can't get in my door, so she just gets really distressed. No, like, so Jay-Z said, we'll leave that in, fuck it. Jay-Z says, Jay- Okay, Jay- <laughs> now I have to. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jay Z says he says he says but you rap about people committing crimes like you're you're like you know you're contributing to this and they have this really in-depth conversation about this very topic and I found that really fascinating it's obviously a topic that is spoken about a lot and we'll get to it when we get to conflict of interest I do want to talk about it then but um yeah man look I like this album I do like this album I think it's it's solid uh it's not it's not as not my favorite gets project uh not even really that close to be honest i feel like there's some real pop tracks on here that i don't really like at all but uh yes it's good it's it's okay yeah look man there's there's a couple of tracks you know you know like ghetto rebo rebel or ghetto no more like no no thank you yeah but yeah yeah man. that's not nice probably my favorite um gets track apart from that but yeah classic Um, anyway it's a heater, fucking heater. Um, all right, get a gospel, the New Testament, which is just outstanding title. Uh, love pick up the phone. Uh, just as a again, just storytelling wise, is just so fucking vivid. I can't, te- I can't, I can't, uh, I I can't emphasize enough just how fucking good he he can visualize shit. Just just him like stressing out. Hoping people pick up the fucking phone. <laughs> it's just great. Sounds of the sounds of the pick up the phone. Man owe me money. I've been ringing this youth for the last month. I don't care if it's half one in the morning. Man really needs to pick up the phone. 
Hey fam, when you get this message, holler at me because you're in the violation zone still. Pick up the phone. Tom, I yelled at this nothing. Phone ringing, but I don't ask the number. I don't know. Now she, uh, now she thinks man are cheating. All, I, all because I won't pick up the phone. Babes, who is that? Why is someone calling you at this time of night? Different day, same mobile. I was going to ring this girl, but something in my brain said, don't dial. Instead, I rung Spyro. Yo, family, where, uh, where you there? I'm on the road. I'm on high road. I beg a man since I ain't new. I ain't made, uh, I ain't made in a tune in a minute. You know, G. That's cool. Send some for the old file. When it comes to flows, I know stars. When it comes to dough, I know piles. When it comes to road, I know miles. When it comes to hoes, mm. I profiled. Mm. If I like her, she's, uh, if I like her, she gets to like her. Caution, because them gal hit there uh, will line up man like Delilah. Every time I answer my phone, it's money on the, uh, on the other end of these days. I've got the minus touch, it's a miler. Oh, fucking hell. It just, keeps, it just keeps on going. It's great. It's absolutely outstanding. But yeah, just stuff like that, man. Just really... is. I can't imagine anybody else doing tracks like that. Um, Purple Sky with uh, Confect, Naldo and Red Free 2. Uh, Hand on the Bible, Houdini. Houdini's hot. Uh, hot track. Uh, the last track, Black Rose with Koji Radicals. Just crazy. Um, uh, again, just... My daughter, she's a princess. The world ain't slaughtering... Uh, oh, Move, move, genius. My daughter, she's a print. She a princess. Uh, the world ain't slaughtering her skin yet. Oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how. Um, this is, this is heavily foreshadowing. I'll lighter note. Uh, these Kanyes have not become important to the Kims yet. Uh, but when she gets older, there'll be brothers, uh, same color as her papa, who will not be showing her, uh, showing any sort of interest. I just. I don't know. I just, I, just, I just know how to gas it up more. To be honest, it, it's just the way he comes out with some tracks um, that have these uh, just uh, really deep, um, uh, re really deep uh, uh, stories and uh, subject matters. Um, and on, I, can't, I haven't even talked about the fact that um, uh, he has uh, this outstanding, just in, well, not outstanding, but interesting three-track stretch of. Uh, King with Little Sims, Slumdog Millionaire with Stefan Don, and Shellington Crescent. What a fucking name with a chip. Um, very fascinating tracks, and I feel like he does this again with uh, Conflict of Interest, where he late not it's not like the last few tracks, but it's just in it's like in the final. It's like starting off the final third of all of, of both of these albums, uh, this one and Conflict of Interest, where he just has those tracks that are kind of like intermissions, so to speak, where. You know, he has, you have Hand on the Bible, you have Next of Kin, and those are deep, and uh, you know, obviously the link to the New Testament, and Christianity, and religion, etc., etc. But then you have something like King, Slumdog Millionaire, Shellington Crescent, and then you get to the deep shit again with Window Pane, and Black Rose, and Jess's song. I just find that really weird how he does that. Um, it's a very, I, I, I would like to think it was a purposeful choice to do that, uh, to, 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 break down his albums in that way um because it is a trend i believe um so i, I found that very interesting just at a glance in, in listening to it um disappointed that sims or stefan dong didn't get a verse and they were just used as uh as choruses um but we're here um it's fine it's all good um uh, but yeah it's a, it's a solid album there's some really good stuff all over it um if you especially if you're just one of those people that um you know uh uh, it reminds me of like uh, when uh, you know, someone like Park talks about religion. Um, obviously, you know, Machiavelli and stuff like that. Um, 
but yeah, just guess goes really deep into it um, with the religious themes and and other things. Um, obviously, the crud's still there with a lot of these tracks as well. Um, but yeah, he he kind of balances them hand in hand, looking at them. That's kind of what I see. Um, what's the what's the album cover? It's actually no, that's close. It's close. He, he has his like head. It's kind of got like it's a DJ Khaled kind of vibe, where it's like a uh, just just hands hands on head. Uh, kind of thing suffering from success put a front profile instead of side profile <laughs> um, uh, not relatable as albums past that by the way um very 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 inequality of course um but yeah man it's just very very fascinating um in how he balances especially how he balances just road and religion especially um in 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 this album yeah for sure man like look I think in the interim he dropped Momentum Two, uh, which was his mixtape. I think that's way better than his debut album. Way better. He actually told Matt Tar the project came out due to his lack of collaboration on his debut album. He wanted to put out a project where he actually did collab. And it's freaking fire, man! It's fire. Like some incredible collaborations. Whenever he gets with gigs, they just create like classics. They create classics together. They're incredible together. So we get this second album, drops on the indie label G-I-G-G-I-G. It charts 30 on the UK chart, uh, picked up international distribution via Caroline, which was a sign that gets his brand with exposed, expanding well past the UK. This is the follow-up to Ghetto Gospel, uh, the mixtape that dropped a full 10 years prior, and still a huge part of the conflict that will be fully realized on his next project. You know, Black Rose with Koji Radical was released as a single and was apparently inspired by his daughter asking him why there were no dolls in the shops that resembled her. Getz actually said this. He says, a song like Black Rose, I did it because it was how I felt. I had my own space. The discussions off the back of it was an amazing surprise to me, even though I've made songs yeah, in that realm before. Yeah, people, I obviously wasn't around for that, like in the UK, but uh, he said that people were really talking about uh, the, the message of that track. I think the most potent part of this record is the way he speaks on violence, specifically knife crime amongst youths in London. He told The Independent this, he said, people have lost friends. The people telling these kids to put the knives down are the same people who are going into other countries and bombing the shit out of them. So I don't like getting involved in those campaigns, but I do want to speak on the issue. I understand the feeling when you've lost someone and you're face to face with somebody who had involvement in that. You know, this creates the beautiful song Next of Kin, where he raps through the lens of a mother who has lost her child to knife crime. And, you know, the record came amongst turmoil for the UK rap scene. Um, I probably should have spoken a bit on it more last week with Jamie. But to be honest, Jamie's lyrical content is vastly different to Getz. You know, Getz grew up in juvenile detention. He left prison when he was 19. He has first-hand experiences with the very issues people were claiming came from rap in the late 2010s in England. You could hear it littered all over Conflict of Interest and Dave's stunning album from that year. But it really began in earnest when drill started to rise. The Independent claimed that politicians and the media were quick to blame the rise in violence in London on the rise of drill music. Now Getz says this, and I quote him because I, I really think he speaks eloquently on issues like this. He said, what's the root of the problem? It's not music. The music is reflective of what's going on. If you take an artist to a scene of violence and they draw a picture, are we going to tell him he painted the wrong picture? That's the reality. He drew it. And on this album, he balances it beautifully. He needed to remind you with tracks like Halloween and London that he lived the things he's speaking on. You know, we get song titles like Hands on the Bible, Preach, Spiritual Warfare, No Love, Slung Dong Millionaire, uh, Window Pain. You know, there's depth and emotion here. 
He sounds far more focused on this project, I think, far more comfortable within his sound. I think Halloween is a wild beat. It's a great beat. Um, Preach, he sounds aggressive and violent. Uh, it, it sounds great. I think, as you say, the only two things I did not like about this album was he gets Simbi and Stefan Don and he doesn't give them verses, especially Simbi. That was a debacle. I'm listening to that track like, oh, this is heat. And she just got the hook. I'm like, wait, what did you do here? But apart from that, man, it's I think it's a great album. And then we get we get the album, Conflict of Interest. Um, quick comment before I get into the album itself, um, on what you were saying before. And just a commentary on uh around that time, twenty eighteen especially. Um, you know, and I feel like there's gonna be a just a moment um considering where we're at at this point in the UK I feel like it's just going to rear its head again at some point I don't know when but it probably will at some point in the next couple of years cuz it's a lot of uh I'm seeing a lot of cyclic cycles repeating um especially politically and because of that I just feel like everything's just going to come come behind it um ba- I I think not I'm not a political scientist or anything, but I have just this belief, right, that whatever you whatever governments do now, uh pertain to society and economy and stuff that affects, you know, just people in, in living their lives day to day, uh, those will come th- those will bear fruit in like five years, right? And what happened what was happening five years before 2018 so what 2013 2012 2013 um you know you have stuff like london olympics and that's what people that's what everyone saw visually but past that we had a government that was about to embrace austerity and embraced austerity for all that time right uh and what happens five years later is that there's youths that are fucking bored Right, there is use that are t- taken into county lines gang warfare is what they called it, and it still happens now. Um, I think uh, I think we had like a something go down in my ends um a few months ago during the summer. Uh, apparently, there was like a big beef in down the seafront. Um, so you know it still it still bears fruit. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that um on that front because obviously gets talks about that. And um, that's kind of just what the what the landscape was at that point, uh, you know, especially when drill was coming around in popularity, especially. And it was just like, oh yeah, just knife crime got invented then. You know, what I mean, it's just <laughs> it's it's silly. Um, it's it's silly how um they just always try and conflate uh one and the other uh because they've just they just heard that heard us heard someone they they saw a video one time. Oh no, this is ex. Now I've seen it. This means that everything everything is based on this. Now it's just silly. It's just um, and you have a, fe- a complete refusal for people to actually see past shit and actually think about um, think about uh, what they have done in the meantime. They never think about their own actions politically. I'm talking about politicians, of course. But anyway, conflict of interest. All right. So you know, I mentioned it several times throughout this episode. Um, and it's it's it's. I've never. I don't, I don't think there's been an album that has just culminated. Um, in such a way where someone's career over the past, in this case, what was it, like 15 or so years, has become a a, a magnum opus in some ways. Um, to have it 
have all those years culminate into something of this nature with its name, with the album cover itself and what it looks like with, you know, his face. What is that face in the middle, bro? It's like that, like that weird smile. Um, but, you know, the Ute version, kind of like a younger version of Guess, I guess, Ghetto uh, era as well. And then just him in the middle. Um, you know, that says a lot. And and it comes across in the album as well, you know, 16 tracks. And uh, there's, I feel like this is probably just the most uh, well thought out um, album he's done. Especially in terms of track listing, especially in terms of who he has on the tracks as well. Um, obviously, you mentioned gigs. Um, having him on crud is just perfect. There's nobody else that he would have done. He should have done that with, and it just made sense. Uh, Parcelu and Backrow G on No Mercy, perfect again, especially with them two and how uh, deep their voices go. I feel like that was just a perfect just way of doing it. Uh, <laughs> Little Bo Peep with Dave Hamza and Spectre Two again perfect uh, application of all three of those features um and and, you know we don't talk about Ed Sheeran um but yeah past that (laughs) see I stand it I firmly believe that five in Metacritic is just because Ed Sheeran's on it um I I saw saw this I saw this uh, I saw this shouldn't be there but um I I don't know what particular tracks to highlight because there are so many that should be highlighted um, I remember he did uh, a lot of the live performances that he did, the one-off live performances that he did. Um, I, I think he did Mercury Prize um, last year. Uh, he did Fine Wine on that one. He did Fine Wine a lot of the times. And I feel like that was probably the uh, just the baseline perfect track to do for this album um, and have it as a first track because it's very, it's very overall. It's a good start. It's nice. It's you know, it's got this really dark. It's got this darkness to it, and the way he obviously raps is um, very dingy um, in how he in how he performs. But uh, you know, fast forward uh, and it's like autobiography, the prelude in some ways. Um, fast forward one foot in the industry door. Which way should I go? Can't call it. Same time they've got the uh, they gave they gave thing twenty four. Uh, I wish you could ask Stormin, uh, but I can't give him a ring anymore. You see, when I feel coerced. I think that's is that coerced cornered. Why is it? Where's what's that letter? Um, when I feel cornered, all I do is think of before I drive back to the house I struggled in. What was that like? The one bed with the bathroom, the kitchen in the front room. My front room had an oven in. We were suffering, still loathing, just buffering. I'm upstairs writing bars, and my daughter's coloring. Embarrassed, had to pay a bill, had a bill to pay, and my girl had to cover it. My guy said I should come on the move. All he needs me to do is just cover him. But Lamsey got me the job when the peas weren't coming in. Popular guy, I did it in pharmaceuticals. I asked God for a side nine to five, got me watching the time. Somebody else were picked. I uh, lost me some pride. Just that alone, there's just so much packed in there. Um, just again, visuals. You just, you just, that shit just gets drawn in your head, in your brain as you're listening to it. Uh, and then you have heat like fire and brimstone. I see free with Skepta again, another perfect feature. And then you have autobiography, which I'm kind of conflicted, ha, huh, conflicted, um, of uh, having that as the sixth track. I'm, I'm being very nitpicky. I just wonder why as the sixth track, um, maybe somewhere in the middle, because I do feel Fine Wine and Little Bo Peep just deserve to be where they're at in, in, as the bookends. But I feel like autobiography as just the sixth track and not um, the eighth, right in the middle, square in the middle, right at the midpoint. I'm not sure why it's sixth, uh, but again, that's just me being 
very nitpicky. And uh, if I if if I try to read all biography, I'd end up talk, uh, talking the whole verse. So I won't I won't bother at this point. Um, but highly recommend you listen to it on the best six minutes of last year. Um, Sonia with Emily Sande again, one of those tracks you mentioned, uh, where he's kind of talking uh, talking from somebody else's uh, uh, somebody else's um, point of view. And obviously, Emmy Sande comes in very, very nicely again. Perfect feature um, to have uh, to have her on that. Uh, one of the best features in the game, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, uh, past something I, I didn't rate Proud Family. I still don't. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I, I think lyrically it's fine. I just don't really like it as a track itself in terms of listening to it. You know, I I rip on Ten Thousand Tears. It is a alright track. I just don't see why Jiren should be on it. Uh, I feel like anybody could be could have been on that. But yeah, finished off with um Little Bo Peep, and I kind of feel like Dave kind of stole that track. I can't lie, not to make it about not to make it about like you know who won, but Jesus Christ, just Dave just went in his bag on that one. Absolutely crazy. Um, just went off on that one. Um, but yeah, man, it's an album that is very, very dense, extremely dense. Um, but it's just a lot of a lot of his positives and a lot of gets his powers just um just boosted up to ten in my mind. Um, the storytelling, the the visual, the visuals, um, the the point, the concept of the whole album is perfect to me. Um, and yeah, man, it's just a uh, it. I I don't think I hesitate objectively when I say it is probably one of the best albums, uh, in the U- done in the UK in the twenty first century, uh, one of the best in the quote unquote hip hop umbrella, um, even though it's not hip hop, but you know what I mean, and um, yeah, man, it deserves its place in in the in the plaudits that he has it has gotten, and I feel like it'll age poetically like fine wine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, obviously this album's been spoken about so much in terms of content, reviews, music, etc. So I want to take a bit of a different approach because a lot of my followers asked me how this album was being reviewed so much higher than the albums below it. And it was hard to describe because I don't think it's enough to say the lyrical content was so deep and devastating that it was impossible not to review it well because then that's just Dave's album, for example. And Conflict of Interest was rated significantly higher, but it's not enough to say that Getz finally found his sound or that he breathed new life into a subgenre that was kind of losing its relevance to its baby brother drill. That's not fair either. So the best way I can describe it, on Proud Family, Getz raps, I know the routine well, I've been who I see all these youngsters becoming. I got one little cousin who's just like I was. He's about 14 now. And it's mad because I asked myself where the time's gone. Got to lead by example. Got to show the youth I'm a higher man. Now, consider the complexity of that. Goetz has accurately identified his role as an authority figure, right? In his cousin's life. Now, later in that verse, he even acknowledges that he is an icon. But at the age of 36, how in the world are you going to connect to a 14-year-old? Because it's not about telling them what to do or scaring them straight or forcing them to live a different life. That's not how it works. Like uh, that classic Aesop fable, um, the north wind and the sun. The concept is if you want someone to take off their coat, you don't blow it off. You make it warm enough so that they take it off themselves. And it's very simple, but it's very potent. Most people will try to force someone to bend to their will. So I believe it's... You need it's a in... horse to water. Exactly. So... 
I believe it's in this section where the key to conflict of interest lies. The concept of the album obviously dates back over a decade. Uh, basically, when Getz put out his 2010 mixtape and tried to reel in the underground crowd by compromising himself and feeling pretty rough about it, then he lurched in the opposite direction on his debut album, struggling with the fact that he had a daughter to protect and wanting to create a world for her that's much safer than the one he grew up in and trying to provide for her as well by becoming as successful as he could in the mainstream knowing that to be successful, he had to rap about the things that he was conflicted about rapping about. This is like very complex. He's tying himself up in knots at this point. All these conflicts exist in us, um, you know, from the moment our ego develops past the point of single-minded self-care. And that happens really early when we begin to realize that our actions have consequences on everyone around us. So by the time his cousin hits 14, these conflicts are already roaring rivers like cascading through his daily behaviors. He's dealing with similar things. Um, and we face some of the most difficult choices of our lives. But at that age, we're also unbelievably stupid. We think that we know best when we don't know much at all. So how does Getz actually navigate this? Because he's trying to bring about a change. He's trying to, even if he's trying to just change in the people around him. You know, I think a lot of the time, Kendrick was criticized a lot not criticized, but like Good Kid Mad City and Tapipa Butterfly obviously were telling the story of what he'd grown up and experienced, and he was telling that story so others could avoid it. But people were like, you can't change the world with one album. Not one one single person can't change the entire landscape of violence in America or violence in the UK. But that's not necessarily what they're trying to do. They're trying like as Get says here, he's trying to change the world for his cousin who's 14. That's one single person. And that's an entire world as well. Like that's his entire life. So it's a very noble cause to take up. But it's also, in, even with one person to try and change the, the mind of one person, it's very difficult. So the way that gets I feel, approached this is very simple. He used Grime, the music that he grew up creating, and the subgenre that he helped propel through the entire 2010s alongside JME. And he draws on his vast experience and he brings in this, this cavalcade of guests from every conceivable realm. You know, Moonchild, Sinelli, Skepta, Stormzy, Ada Lee, Emily Sande, uh, Giggs, Wretch32, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran at the peak of Ed Sheeran. This was when Ed Sheeran was Ed Sheeran. Like He was he, Ed Sheeran in, as, in, the, in the most Ed Sheeranist way. As Ed Sheeran as he'll ever be. You know, and he he, he sheerens the shit out of it. Yeah, this real Ed Sheeran shit, and he he gets to work, man. He gets to work. What he did, what I feel like he did differently to Dave is he didn't waste a solitary song on this album, whether he was chasing chart success or not. Listen to the first verse of Ten Thousand Tears with Ed Sheeran. He gives it like you know that that's not a wasted song. Gets on this album appeals to every single demographic in his orbit. He gives them a song for their playlist. And he fleshes every single one of those songs out. You know, like if I'm comparing it to Dave, there's no system or Lazarus on this album. You know, it kind of hurts me to say this. Um, and this is not a criticism of Dave at all. Not oh, in the... The vindication I just got. I know. I know Carry you. On. I knew you. Carry on. I knew you would. But Carry the fuck on. <laughs> what, gets, what Gets was able to do on this album that Dave wasn't was adapt the message to every current mainstream sound in the UK and I actually spoke to a record exec about the way they were marketing their artists at the moment, and I was particularly interested in Doja Cat, and they said, these projects are curated so that they fit on as many playlists as possible from the mainstream subgenres they touch upon. So Getz made sure that whatever playlist he was on, 
he had a message. The message was still true to conflict of interest. And that's how you appeal to the kids caught up in this. You don't chase after them and demand that they stop. You make them feel like it's safe to stop running. And you're only doing, you only do that by getting the people around them to drop their weapons as well. Now, of course, Getz hasn't ended violence in the UK amongst youths with one single album. You know, one piece of art could never be, I don't think one piece of art could ever be that powerful. I certainly can't think of a time it has in human history. But what he set out to achieve with this record was immense. And I think he nailed it. You know, I think he really did. That's why his album is rated so highly. What he did here was pretty immense. And it kind of sets the blueprint. And it, it takes artists like this. It takes albums like this to drag other people along in the wake. And for other people to create music like this, all Getz can do is be a pioneer. All he can do is put out something of this level that gets reviewed this highly and really hope that others take up the cause behind him. There's not much else he can do aside from that. And you know, I actually think a huge part of the success of this record is Warner, the label that he was signed to. So Ed Sheeran is a Warner stablemate, so is Stormzy. Um, you know, Music Music Week interviewed their president, Phil Christie, about this, this entire album and this rollout. It's a lot of marketing speak. But I actually think that this is one of the most pure label and artist collaborations I've ever seen. Throughout the interview, they speak on wanting to engage Getz fans from every era of his career. They use the word galvanize, and I think that that's a brilliant word. Because Getz has himself said in interviews, the marketing has been difficult for him to conceptualize and re fully realize. His talent is there, his fan base is there, his ability and his work ethic is there. And so I think conflict of interest becomes... A fascinating study in what a major label should do for you, similar to, I think, Good Kid, Mad City. You know, let's put aside splits and revenue and all that for a second, because I don't know how Kendrick and Getz would feel about the financials, but Conflict of Interest was a collaboration. You know, Ed Sheeran, that production team, the feature list, the playlisting, the review coverage. He had interviews with GQ, NME, Vice, huge feature-length articles, and that's all on the label end. Conflict of interest would never be the product it is without that. And 99% of the time, I'm going to sit here and tell you, fuck major labels. But on this occasion, it worked really well. And even if they did try to pop him up on some trending playlists, he turned those potential weak spots into opportunities to introduce a whole new fan base to this concept he'd been working on for 11 years. And the label allowed him that latitude. And I think that's beautiful, man. I think it's a summing up of everything that makes Getz great. And I really am interested to see where he goes next after this record because this is a defining, a, a career-defining record. And we can see how difficult it can be to actually follow that up. Like, you know, T-Pab to Damn to Mr. Morale. Like, how do you follow up those career-defining albums? You know, Black Album to Kingdom Come to American Gangster. Like, you know, Illmatic to It Was Written to Nostradamus, like how do you define, how do you continue on after, you know, get rich or die trying to the massive, like how do you do that? So I'm really interested to see what happens next because I say all those big, big names there. This album is with those albums. Like it may not have sold a million copies in the US, but in my view, that's where this album sits for me. It's, it's on that level. Yeah, and it's um, increasingly going to become the case with that where, there's going to be those albums that um, really break the mold in, in one way or another, but it's not going to show up. Uh, it's not going to show up numerically. Um, you have to actually listen to it and contextualize it properly. And 
you know, just embrace it yourself, right? And actually see for yourself on what it's saying. You can't rely on if it charts or whatever or not. Like, you can't, like, you shouldn't do that at <laughs> any point in time in life. But you, you definitely, I encourage not to do that anymore um, at this point because it's just, you know, but um, that's kind of just... I'm I'm just trying to balance the scales because you know Ben's dick riding made labels all of a sudden, so I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, well said. Um, we'll fi- we'll finish there so for the sake of time. Um, I didn't really didn't realize we've nearly nine minutes in. Um, but yeah. Uh, I don't know if the topic tonight. No, not now. Because <laughs> I don't want to go too long. Um, I'll pick my words carefully and keep it very succinct um guys there are just some platforms that are just not built for the moment um and by when i mean for the moment i mean to have people on that are being talked about in the zeitgeist right at the time and that's not that some platforms are just not serious some platforms are just there to kick it tell stories shoot the shit Okay, that's what some a lot of podcasts are. You know, we're a little bit different. We shoot the shit at the end. We try and shoot the shit at the beginning, but we get down to business in the middle. Um, but yeah, you know, not every, not every, every podcast, every platform, whether it doesn't have your podcast, it could be TV show, talk show, uh, sports, right? There's there's times and places, right? And some of them are built to meet the moment, and some of them are just not. So some of them are just not built for it. And to have Kanye West on Drink Champs in this particular moment, we are recording on a Sunday, Ben's Monday, and it's just from from the one clip I've seen, and that's all I need to see, there's just no fucking need to have that person on Drink Champs. There is just it was that place is not built for that conversation. Nori is a complete disappointment to and I'll speak very. Uh, I'll, I'll speak for. I'll speak. I'll speak for myself. But in my mind, he has driven what we consider hip hop to a low. Um, he's dragged that down. He's dragged the credibility down of what hip hop's supposed to be. He's dra- he's dragged what uh, black collectivism is supposed to be, and that concept in 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 a, in a deep sense. I won't get too into it, but he's dragged that down. He's dragged a lot of shit down with that, uh, with that interview, and there was no need for it. There was simply no need. Um, in my mind, that was there for at this point clickbait, and having having anti semitic rhetoric and a whole lot, oh, a lot of other things oh, on there. Way more than that, bro. A whole lot more than that, but that's just a scratch in the surface. And all we need at this point, that's all we need. But there's plenty more, obviously. To have all that and not be challenged in any way. I also wonder why the shop, um, the LeBron James slash Maverick car, um, led uh, TV series of you know famous people interviewing each other in some ways in a barbershop. I wonder why they took uh, they took the episode down and never aired it. Um, because I frankly wonder whether they did the same, um, where they just allowed him to spout and and didn't check him on it in real time. Because he's Kanye West, have to get rid of that. Have to get rid of that. Um, of that mindset of just he's a brother. He's done a lot for the music industry. He made graduation, 
as the meme goes at the moment. It's right behind me. To... <laughs> it's right behind Ben. Uh, 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 oh, wow. Yeah, she... Okay. Oh, wow. come on. As if we care. Like, who the fuck I mean, cares anymore, bro? I, I mean, sh I, I didn't realise it was a poster low-key. I thought, I thought you just fucking threw, his, threw, his, threw a vinyl at the window. But, no, uh, no, no, it was no, only no. A, It was only a poster. But, yeah. Honestly, man, there's just it just comes a time where you have to stop protecting people just because you either respected them at some point or you respect their work. Um, you know, I don't want to get into the art versus the artist com uh, conversation. To not enough time for that, but that's all I wanted to say. It's just there's some places that are just not built for these conversations, and you guys still embrace it for no fucking reason. Why did you have that boy on? There was no reason for it. And don't fucking bother backtracking because you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. There's no point in, in believing you uh, because you were there for what I assume was more than an hour and didn't check him on shit and still, yeah, but anyway, I'm, I'm running circles. I think the saddest thing is that Drink Champ started as a place where Nori would bring on legends to talk about stuff, you know, Legends that weren't legends that weren't getting the the airtime on other platforms because they weren't getting the views. You know, these were legends that they were bringing on to tell crazy stories. One of the first episodes is Irv Gotti and Ja Rule. No one cares about Irv Gotti and Ja Rule anymore. They're not getting crazy views. They're not popping up on you know Breakfast Club. They're not popping up on Hot ninety seven because they're not going to get the views. The whole premise of the show was to bring on these people and give them a platform and for Nori to reminisce with them and tell stories that had never been told before. It was a, And I listened to hundreds of hours of Drink Champs in my life. And yeah, Nori's an annoying interviewer, don't get me wrong, but it was a, it was a great platform. And this is really sad, like this to see how far they've fallen and what they're doing right now because you see it all the time in the landscape. I mean, there are two levels of outlets on Twitter and Instagram and we know exactly what the two levels are. We know who's in the first level. We've got the rap TVs and the academics. They'll post anything, anything for clicks and likes and engagement. They do not care. They have no moral compass whatsoever. There's no leg that there's no ethical leg they stand on. They don't give a shit. And then there's the other side who try to navigate the murky difficulties of what you can and can't post who you shouldn't promote who you should promote which is a very difficult thing to do but like i never thought drink champs would go down this route and uh, it's just it's super sad nori's tweeting about it now saying i get more views than the super bowl and uh, you know i'm gonna be talk of the internet or like bro how like what are you <laughs> I, i'm just so confused bro. i'm just I, it doesn't i my brain is not it can't process it and what has happened in this interview and it's very obvious to anyone who was like i watched the i watched the trap law ross video on the the breakdown of kim and kanye's wedding uh sorry wedding marriage right and he went into all of the stuff that kanye has said over the last four years the time he was on stage and said all those horrible things about kim and Oh, I don't even want. I'm not even going to repeat them. But th this moment was coming. This moment with Kanye just completely just losing everything was coming. But what he's done in this interview and what he's done in the last couple of weeks is there's millions of things he said. He's obliterated 
any kind of goodwill he could possibly have. It doesn't matter that he made those albums anymore. It doesn't matter. Like, and it's it, it, it creates a really difficult like thing for people in the present because how do you even contextualize this? How do you even how do you even wrap your head around this? How do you take a stand against this? What do you say about this? Like, I don't know because these are these are like universally condemned things. No one should ever say things like this. No one should believe things like this. These are bigoted, hateful beliefs, like horrible, horrible things to say. I'm already getting strung up on um, Hip Hop Numbers 2 for saying that if a statistic comes up that Kanye's in, I have to tweet it. And they're like, well, just don't tweet it. And I'm like, but like there's there's literally thousands. And the problem is, and I was talking to DeMont about this last week when we were walking around and Kanye had said some other crazy shit. And he said to me, this shit hurts. Well, I think I said it to him because we grew up with Kanye. Like his music was so impactful in our formative years. And the fact that I even have to say, I might have to tweet about this man, even though I don't want to. That's how enmeshed he is in hip-hop that's how important he's been to hip-hop that's how essential his music has been how popular how ubiquitous how much love he's had how much you know he's just he's part of everything he's you know i i even will have to say it like he's produced certain albums that i'll have to talk about you know i'm i want to talk about b by common in the future i want to talk about finding forever i want to talk about watch the throne i want to talk about these out how the fuck am i going to talk about these albums anyway how are we going to talk how are we going to listen to them you know how like you might just be sitting there thinking yeah i could listen to to b by common and and that's all good and then the food comes on and you're like oh fuck so i go sit through the hook like you know the hook is so good and so now he's like bringing up really difficult conversations that people are going to have to have with themselves and I think it's going to be a complete shit show on social media for the next, you know, space of time with people just attacking. And that's the problem. People are going to be attacking each other. Uh, Kanye, I don't, look, I, I can't even speak on it, man. I, I don't know what's going on with him. He needs to, I don't, I can't even say it. Like, bro, I, I don't know what he needs to do. He's just, I'm shocked. I'm shell-shocked at the things he said. Like, it's just shocking to me. Yeah, well, um, you know, to finish, um, again, there's pla- there's different platforms for different things um as much as we can as much as we think that they're basically all gelling into their own the the same thing um they do hold they do hold certain qualities um and twitter is n- most social media all social media in my mind is not the place to have nuanced conversation okay we can have nuanced conversation on here because we are talking we are talking, albeit visually, uh, uh, albeit digitally, but we are talking. We can, we can, you know, we we have inflections in our voice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Talking on wax is way different than someone tweeting saying. Okay, regardless of how much of a deep thread it is. Okay, it's different. It's built different, and this will always be the best po- best place or the best format to have a conversation of this nature. Um, even of all places, um, I saw a clip with uh, Charlemagne, uh, along with the uh, Amber Ruffin, uh, Marlon Wayans, and Jamel Hill, and they had a good. Uh, there was a good two-minute clip in there. Jamel Hill said something really fascinating about black protectivism and comparing that. Um, it's very, that was very fascinating. That's the. That's, those are the kind of places to have that. As as tough. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that to to give credit to Charlemagne, but yeah, 
you know, that was a place to have it. Um, was it the best place? Probably not. But with those people, it probably was. Who knew? Um, but yeah, social media, no point having these conversations. That's why I personally don't have those conversations. There's no point. Um, you can put it in a tweet. You can put it in 20 tweets. It won't make a difference. Yeah, um, I agree with you. And that's that's the rational. And I, I forget that sometimes. And I have these conversations with these people. And then I get two minutes in and I'm like, Charlie was right. I can't have this conversation with this person. Like who, if I can't, if I, I guess what I need to, and I think people need to think about this. If you can't see the person you're talking to, if you can't get a visual of them, if you don't know what they look like, what they're anything about their life situation, don't have the conversation with them. Don't do it because there's nothing is going to be, there's, there's, you're not going to get any value out of it. I promise you. I've had millions of these conversations. Don't, wade into battle with these people they this is it's nothing there's nothing there is pointless it's a barren landscape for you the earth has been salted nothing is going to grow i promise you yeah and we could have easily talked about um the many rap girl beefs that i am just not aware of um, oh yeah i don't know anything about i just i'm just don't want to traffic in that um but we could you know that, that could also be talked about and there's another example of just not having good conversations just not not substantive conversations and uh you know anyway we made we made the the minus of attempts um for what it is and uh we'll leave it at that uh so yeah ladies and gentlemen uh find the fifth Event podcast now this has been digging in the digits hope you've enjoyed this episode i've tried to say the fifth minute been ben carter of hip-hop numbers we are, if I remember correctly, finishing uh, our UK BHM series next episode. Um, and then we're going to get uh, start the month of November on the 1st uh, with a, a, a fresh retrospective um, on an artist that has... Uh, <laughs> mm. Related to Kanye in some ways. A little bit uh, different. A uh, little bit different. Uh, we're uh, the opposite. Little, little go the opposite direction. Opposite direction. Yeah. We're we're going to go complete opposite direction. Uh, to uh, we'll give you a clue. One of the many people he has bullshitted over the past uh, year or so. Who is it? Well, you'll find out on the first November. But yes, hope you all have a good week. The show is trying to do the same. Bye until next time. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me, music for the show. It's beats and video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Music for the ability to use. Socials for Defendment, Hip Hop by Numbers, bonus points, and Chill Music will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5th Event Podcast and Production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.